Hey y'all, welcome back. Part two here on a Wednesday on the Chase Most Podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Thank you as always for making the Chase Most Podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to this program. We greatly appreciate it. It's uh, always ready to go for your morning commute each and every day as uh, this is a national daily sports show here on the Blue Wire Pod Network and we appreciate you, like I said, making us a part of your day. Uh, part two here on a Wednesday john taylor of fangraphs.com we had a lot of fun stuff to talk about braves met series uh von grissom and just uh the braves have a lot a lot of good folks uh in this lineup these days uh we talked about fernando tatis's suspension what that means for the pods and his future just in general uh the state of the a's um the rangers firing chris woodward um we talked about um a lot of other stuff too just all kinds of good stuff here on uh, this edition walker bueller being out for the year the dodgers what that means to, for their rotation but all mlb here on part two on the wednesday august 17th 2022 edition as always check us out on youtube youtube.com slash podcast like and subscribe join uh the program on the video front that would be great you can also uh, tweet at me at chase underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and of course uh if you're not already make sure you're subscribed to the Chase Thomas Podcast on your preferred podcast player so you never miss future episode. Uh, so make sure you tap that subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and a review if you're an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener. It helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. All right, Uncle Darren, wrapping up on a Wednesday. Let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Most Podcast, joined by Fangraphs John Taylor at this time every single week. John, except for last week. Except for last week, where we switched things up <laughs> on a Thursday. Okay, John, that's why I thought we talked about this, by the way. Because we talked on Thursday last week, Right. I thought the Tati stuff happened, and we talked about it on our late week show. That's why. I'm like, it's Okay, it's I, I get, get that. Yeah. I mean, look, every, every day feels like a week, every week feels like three months like mm-hmm. in it has or it has been the case the last two and a half years so i i understand that this, no one has a good sense of time right now no and timelines it's all and relative anyway um and i've run the numbers and the people really want to talk about which run was their favorite the brave scored on the new york mets last night for me number <laughs> one was pretty cool with william Contreras with this home run using edwin diaz's music which a lot of folks did not know that he's been using that all year um, but a home run there. Eddie Rosario with a 95 exit velo right after him to right field. Pretty cool. That was one of my favorites. Um, let's see. Where else? Anytime Vaughn Grissom was uh, sent home was fun time because watching him run the bases and he had a great uh, play where uh, I wrote about this today. It's like Vaughn got from first to third on a Michael Harris just like little bloop. I don't know. Did you watch the game last night, John? No, I, I didn't get a chance to watch it. Um, well, it was seven and a half hours long because there was an hour and 15 minute rain delay. And then uh, the Braves had like, a, I think it was this the sixth inning or seventh inning when it broke open. But that was like an hour. And well, it the, was like we were we were looking the, at like two and a half hours. In like the part the I the part I did inning. see was the part I did see was about that rain delay because the the Mets finally did the the kind of thing they would have done in recent years, which was to put Carlos Carrasco back in after an hour and 15 minute rain delay and then he gets hurt like five minutes later but he did not come back in yeah so and now he's out 
I mean, this is in the end. This series is still happening. The, the second game in, and it's going to start in about half an hour from when we're talking. Yes. Um, this, I believe, is the last time these two teams meet until close to the end of September. Correct. Yeah, because it's another four gamer. Um. So this is really... It's not Atlanta's last chance to, to force the division, but this is a series that... I, obvious thing is obvious. They, they pretty much have to win in order to keep mm-hmm. their... In, they have to win the series to keep their division odds alive. I mean, Fangraph's odds right now before this... Last night have this currently as... Mets ahead percentage-wise by 86.8 to 13. So... Take back the, the yeah. This, this series will basically end the, the NL East if the Mets win it. So I that's don't know about that, John. I mean, I will say here's what sucks: is the Braves. I mean, the Astros right after. So this whole week is just a murderer's row. Well, and, and that's and that's part of the thing. The same week. Well, that's part of the thing with the projections we have too. Is it's noting into account like the the season schedule is not favorable. And at this point in this at this point in the season, like three or four games against the Astros, however many it is. That's just a. That's already a significant chunk of season left, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I, I haven't. I don't know what the. I don't know like fully what the Braves' schedule looks like. Uh, we have them with a strength of schedule of five hundred four, which is considerably higher than the Mets, who have a four eighty eight uh, strength of schedule projected for the rest of the season. So, our projections think the Mets have an easier schedule down the stretch. That is obviously going to be huge because I mean, right now it is a four and a half. It's a four and a half game gap, and I don't think most people would look at that and go, "Oh, well, that's like eighty we have it as 87%, I think, for the Mets to win the division. It's like, oh, that's not, you know, the end. But it's pretty dang close. And if the – how many more games are left in the series? Tuesday and Wednesday, and that's it? No, Thursday, too. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay, so if the Mets win two of those three, uh, this is a – this would be a six-and-a-half game lead again yeah. with about five weeks to go. No, maybe like six, closer to six. That's just not bad. a lot of time to make that to make that up. Especially when they only have a handful of head-to-head games left at this point. Well, how many more times can we throw Spencer Strider out there against the New York Mets? That's what people are wondering. Because that man talked some shit last week and then backed it up. Gets five innings. Only four Ks. Not a big uh, K night for uh, the mustache legend. Does, does that really count as, as, as backing it up? Five innings, four strikeouts? He came in. I mean, he could have gone out after Carrasco didn't come back out after the hour and 15-minute rain delay. Spencer... Came back out and was fine. Why did Why did the Braves do that? Why are they bringing their pitcher back out after an hour and fifteen minute rain delay? He's got that dog in him. <sighs> they, that, but that's the thing. Like that, Atlanta really does want this division for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. Like there is, well, we want to do the whole streak all over again, the fourteen year in a row. We want to start that all over. Yeah, especially because you know, as we're as we're seeing from, um, you know, as we've already seen with the postseason schedule coming out, like being that number one team and not having to do that. Uh, not having to go through that wild card series, having to play three games and three as many as three games in three days, and then immediately having to flip over to the division series just against a completely rested uh, team. Mm. Uh, how far? I mean, the, the Dodgers are going to be the number one seed yeah. in the NL, no problem. But the the br- only way the Braves make it to the number two seed is by winning the NL East, because it, otherwise it's the Mets. So. You end up as that number, you know, as that number one wild card. Now you're the number four seed. Now you're traveling to take on, or you're you're hosting. How did they set it? Is it three six and four five? I think so. I've mm. I've already like it's funny that they put out the postseason schedule, and yet I still cannot for the life of me remember how the postseason God, actually works. Now. No, All they had to do was add one round. 
and I've already just been like, no, I'm lost. I'm lost. Like, I my brain could only handle three rounds at a time. Four rounds is is too many. Um, this is my problem with the NCAA tournament too. It, just, it, it there are too many rounds. Yeah, make you it were faster. Right. It is three, six, four, five. It is three, six, four, five. So if you're Atlanta, you win the top wild card. You are now looking at facing the number two wild card right off the bat. And that is going to be either Philly or San Diego. Do you want that in a short series? Do you want Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler in a short series? No, they Do you want, want Philly. Yeah, they're like, not worried about I mean, they, either way, it's like, point being, I don't you, want San you, Diego. Even even more, it's like you you just don't want to play in that series. You just do not want to play in that series. You do not want your season to come down to two games out of three against an, uh, another very good team all in three days. Then immediately have to flip and face you know either the Mets or the Dodgers, right like a, with no rest and in a series where you're gonna have to use four pitchers or four starters. Like regardless, you are not gonna be able to short it um, or not have to use four because it is still the best of five. But mm-hmm. regardless. It's a much harder road to the, for the Braves to def, to defend this World Series championship if they go in as a wild card again, you know, or if they go in as a wild card rather. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I still just nothing would surprise me if the Mets won this division. It would not surprise me. They're a very good team. The Braves won it. I also wouldn't be surprised. But I will say, like you said, this the, tonight, tomorrow, Thursday, critical. It doesn't. I don't love that Scherzer and Degrom are still on the docket uh, for this week. But um, we'll see. Yeah, the whole Jacob Degrom coming back from injury and immediately looking exactly like himself again. It'd be very interesting if his future just ends up being like he can he can only throw like eighty innings a year because he does so max effort that it's impossible for him to throw more. But they're the eighty best innings anyone will throw in baseball that year. Hmm. The reliever starter. I was gonna say then like just make it the all time like. Well, the that's Johnson the thing. He, I don't. Closer. I don't think he can, and this is this is something I'm curious to see with Degrom going forward, depending on health and a million other things. Especially because he's already, I believe, 33, 34. He's he's already up there age wise, uh, in terms of you know baseball players, not the rest of us. Um, it's it funny. I had a moment. I was really, I called Chris Bassett middle age or in his mid 30s, uh, and so I was looking at the uh, my BP annual to look at my. Um, I was trying to find my Tyler Soderstrom comment from last year for the because we're gonna talk Shea Langliers. Mm-hmm. I realized I'd called Chris Bassett going to his mid-30s. He's younger than I am. It's like He's not even really in his mid-30s, and I, just, I made him sound ancient. But anyway. Well, I mean, that's how we are as sports writers, John, is we're now in our mid-30s, and when we talk about, oh, man, are they really running out this old guy? Like, are they really doing this? And you're like, this person's my age. Or, like, yeah, you're like, they, they're talking about, like, like, we talk about Nelson Cruz, who is 42 years old, <laughs> as if he is made of bones. Or, like, mm-hmm. Albert Pujols, who's 41, and, like, you, the way like he's treated within baseball is like you expect them to give him a walker anytime he has to go to like first you're base. You're amazed that he gets out of bed in the morning. Yeah, like, like where it's like, how do you have this energy, old man? Like, shouldn't you be asleep by six? And it's like, guys, he's not. He's only like a few years older than us at this point. Yeah. Um, but no, what I was going to say is I don't think that the way Degrom operates would function as a reliever because mm-hmm. he's. I don't think he can go max effort either for like an extended period of time or mm-hmm. in the in the burst that a reliever would need to do it. He'd have to throttle something back. Like, that's why I'm super interested to see how things go and if he can continue doing this, because if he doesn't... If he can actually do a full season of this, like, again, without injury, like, holy hell, that's the best pitcher in baseball by a miles. You know? that That's insane to think about. Um, and no yeah, I... I will be very interested to see. Actually, he's, just, he's basically throwing just like two pitches right now, a fastball and a slider, except it's a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and a 93-mile slider. 
Dude, it's, it really, it's really something watching Jacob DeGrom pitch. I watched his start against the Phillies, and I was just, he does whatever he wants as a pitcher. I haven't, it's something you, I feel like I haven't seen since Pedro. Like, it's really special. So, yes, that, that's not a fun thing to look forward to if you're a Braves fan. Um, but Max Scherzer fun, is the easier one to face. But even with all that being said, like, it's still <laughs> just fun. Like, important baseball is fun, and this mm-hmm. time of year is fun. Oh, yeah. Just, like, every inning. But, I mean, last night was a blowout. But even still, you weren't, like... It, it was just... It, it just is important. It's appointment viewing. Like, I, I'll have a yard, and I'm going to jump into it after we get off here. But, like, it's just... This is some of the best part of being a sports fan is just baseball in the fall. It's like we're getting mm-hmm. really, really close to that when your team's still in it. And now just that when the Mets are good, I think it's more fun for the Braves. Like, this is fun. Like, I like that the Mets and the Braves have this real rivalry. And you can tell that the Braves are just like, oh, same old Mets. We'll see it. We'll see if you can actually make it through. Like, we've heard this so many years in a row that, like, yeah, this is when you're turning the corner. This is when you're turning the corner. And then let's see. But this, obviously, like what we just talked about, it feels the most real. All that being said, Acuna's hot right now. Vaughn Grissom is a legitimate everyday player right now. You go up and down this lineup, our lineup is just Braves have a really good stacked. lineup. It's a really, really good lineup, even with having to deal with Marcelo Zuna. It's a good lineup. And they really not are in not the lineup last night. Like he, yeah. I mean that that's and like I I don't know if Grissom is someone who is going to stick past when Albies gets back. I know you know that's there's a question. A cons- like I know there's that concern of what Albies is going to be when he gets back. You know he has not been the most consistent player at, really at any point in the last two seasons. But no, this is this is a very very good lineup right now, and it's a it's a good lineup that actually has some usable flexibility and some youth in it like i thought at losing adam duvall was going to be killer but they have uh the robbie grossman eddie rosario combo has worked pretty well um they have survived with ozuna for the most part like Contreras has been genuinely startable like mm. and like I, I mean the biggest part of it too being michael harris is being able to come up and do what he's done straight out of double a and be not just a great defensive center fielder but also be able to handle himself at the plate be also able to steal bases it's like act shows genuine legitimate power like it's just it's really a testament in, in part to atlanta's player development which is just very very good but yeah well, this, this team is back just to the teams when they're like we want to burn it down right when teams are like oh we want to do the full teardown it's like well, if you don't have the organizational structure and the scouting department and just the right guys and power to identify that talent so that you can, because a lot of it's like, oh, it's lucky the Braves have now Grissom and Harris who both skip AAA and are both thriving immediately at the major league level. It's like, well, no, they still developed those guys. They still identified the right kind of guys who could make that jump. Everybody right, and that's... can do this thing, but it's more complicated than just acquire a bunch of great farm system guys and build it up. Like, it's more exactly. complicated than that. I mean, we were talking about that with the Tigers last week with Avila, mm-hmm. that, you know, they're a prime example of what happens when you do a full teardown rebuild, but you don't have the staff and personnel in Correct. place to, to turn those prospects into anything more than numbers in a farm system for far, or for farm system rankings like mm-hmm. atlantis atlanta succeeded what it's done because it does like it you know it, it's funny in thinking about back to the soto trade and what the nationals got in return and how it's this idea like they got a huge package of prospects and it's like these are all great prospects like yeah but is washington any good at create at turning prospects into valuable major leaguers like the three best players they've ever had come through their system steven strasburg bryce harper and Juan Soto Hmm. pretty clearly did not need their help 
in that many ways. Like, which is not to it's not to take away anything that Nationals scouts and coaches and player development people did, mm. but like those were like two of those were were number one picks who were supposed to be superstars and were when healthy. And the other apparently is a clone of young Ted Williams who just was given to them. Like the dude had a mm. the dude had insane walk rates on his own in in the minors. Meanwhile, all the other prospects we talk about previously with the Nationals, Carter Kaiboom, Pedro Severino, like you know, the variety of like just semi toolsy outfielders they have churned through in the last seemingly forever. Like mm. they don't really show a pretty high, a high hit rate on that. So yeah, it all the more point to to being that Atlanta is really, really good at this, and if there is any hope for them to like catch the Mets at this point or, or take or get past the Mets, it's because of guys like Harris and Strider and now Vaughn Grissom and all those young dudes who can come up and actually make an impact, or guys like Kyle Muller or guys like uh, you know Bryce uh, was it Bryce Elder they brought up randomly, yes. yeah, like get sent back down, yeah, right. But it's like having that youthful or having that youth, having that depth. Even Ian Anderson, who's been terrible this season, but you know is still someone who at least has the upside of, well, you know, there is something possibly there. There is some value there. I mean, the Braves hung on to Kyle Wright at past the point I think most teams would have either given up or shipped him off somewhere else, and they've been rewarded for that. They've figured something out with Kyle Wright. They're just good at this kind of stuff. You know, the real struggles they've seemed to have had are more things like Charlie Morton just is very clearly, like, has hit the has hit some kind of end for himself this or just injury like, or, no matter what this year yeah for him or injuries have have kept albies from being a consistent pl- like presence on the field and have interrupted his development at the major league level whatever it is it happens to be um but atlanta has shown a good ability to just to you know take those uh, take those lumps in stride they've just shown a good ability to patch holes with the good depth they have and a lot of that is that player development you know michael harris was not a household name except for like except for prospect folks and like hardcore Braves fans before now. And like, we're going to be talking about him in the postseason, 100%. So he's the best nine hitter in baseball right now, but he's also just like an amazing fielder and just having him in center for years to come. Like he is so good. He had a brilliant catch last night in this one too. Um, he, he's just great. Like it's just going to be so much fun watching him, uh, for years to come. And I'm just so curious to see how the Braves navigate this winter because we have now entered too many guys territory with Albies, with Swanson, with Grissom, with, uh, you just insert player name here and you're like a Contreras or no, you go up and down this list and you're like, I mean, Swanson, Swanson's going to be an interesting choice for them. I'm going to be, I'm going to be interested to see what they do there. Good. And this is real. They have their in-house replacement. I mean, we'll see. I, I I think the Braves ultimately don't do it anyway for the same reason they didn't want to do Freeman, which is they just don't want to guarantee money to guys approaching or over 30, which is you know yeah. firmly where Dancy Swanson is. But it'll definitely be... Because like, at least with Freeman, like once they had the Olsen trade, you were like, okay, well, they actually upgraded, so they're fine. Mm-hmm. Or if, if not upgraded, at the very least, maintain status quo. It's right. going to be really, really hard for them to... Or for 2022, I should say. It's going to be really, really hard for them to find a better 2023 shortstop than Dansby Swanson unless they're willing to pay for someone at the top end of the market. So if they're willing to pay for a Correa, they're willing to pay for a Xander Bogarts, they're willing to pay for, you know, whoever it happens to be. And I mean, you can make an argument that, you know, Xander Bogarts not necessarily better than Dansby Swanson, but, you know, you get my drift. Top of the free right. agent class. Or it's going to have to be some... might look at it is like, even if we have a dip because we can't replace his production and what Dansby would be in 2023, and we just plug in Grissom, 
we're still betting on Michael Harris having a big bomb. So 160, uh, 162 game set. Sure. Yeah, and that's, and that's, bomb. and yeah, and there are a lot of other moves that the Braves obviously will make and need to make and are going to have to make at some point in the offseason that'll determine that. But yeah, I, again, like if, he he is already such a big part of what they're doing too. I, I do just wonder if that's if that is part of it too. It's well, I guess they showed with Freeman. It's not necessarily the biggest thing. Like Freeman, <laughs> if there's anyone who should have been a lifetime brave of anyone in that group, it should have been Freddie Freeman. But and if anyone yeah. who probably wishes he were a lifetime brave, it's Freddie Freeman. Frank Core went through this weird back and forth, and look, both part of you guys we stand together, but he had this weird like seven second explainer for why like Matt Olson like why it was a little bit complicated he was going like oh the heat in Georgia but it was and then he was like and that adjusting from the Oakland heat to Georgia heat is but he's like but yes he is from Georgia so he was accustomed to the heat and I was like what is happening what are, yeah no the heat is not an issue Matt Bless Olson Frenchy. is I was like, what is happening? He was, uh, it was just one of those things where you, you gotta, he, he was doing that analogy or going down that rabbit hole. He's like, wait a second, he's from here, so I can't do this. And we all went to the same high school. It was just funny. Like, there was like a seven second of just, oh, I've, wa- I've, he, you ever just hear someone just talk their way into a corner where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, there's just no way around it? He, like, he was like, no, this is wh- what Frenchie just said. We can just throw that out the window for, that was a seven seconds of what was that? Bless Frenchie's heart. He's just, he's just trying to be a nice guy. I mean, you got to fill time, man. And so now that's that too. You, there is a lot of time to fill on a, excuse me, in a major league baseball broadcast. Yeah, and sometimes you're just like, hey, the the heat might be an issue. Um, John, what yes. is an issue is the Oakland A's are not a good baseball team in 2022. However, old friend Shay Langliers, seen in person. Back is this just at, a Braves pros- Is this just a Braves podcast now? Is I this mean, what we are? When the Red Sox are this bad and the Braves are this good. It's just there's going to be a little bit more of a... You're like, Fernando Tatis never heard of him. John, I'm just... I'm not mad at Fernando Tatis. I'm disappointed, uh, like AJ Preller uh, at this point, but... I don't know which of his excuses I found more amusing so far. The ring, the ringworm one was really good. His dad saying, no, it's not actually ringworm. It was for a fungal infection from a haircut was somehow even better. I... Oh man, I I just want to know how angry Rob Manfred got when he saw that news. I I just I want to I want to see that moment where he learned that one of like the face currently of like baseball. <laughs> oh man, that's a bad one. That's a really well, it's bad also one. Just like- I want to. We need to legislate this out of the game somehow. Is players coming out after the fact? Because there's only a couple of these a year now. We don't get these all the time anymore. Like, that's something that I think players who are getting popped need to understand now is that this is not a common occurrence anymore. No. So the ringworm is... defense is not a real thing. So, no, it's. Understand I, that we all know you can't do this anymore. We all I, know what I, happened here. A number of people, I think Craig Calcaterra is one I remember, I think, writing about it in his newsletter was like, I, I don't, he's like, I don't understand why more players basically don't just say, whoops, my bad, I was doing something because I really was, you know, and, if, and in Tatis's case, I genuinely do believe it was like I was trying to recover more quickly from an injury. I took something right. I shouldn't have taken. You know, I made a mistake. I will change. I Whatever. It's like, that's all you need to do at this point, because the majority of people will see that and go, all right. Yep. Like, people are really only truly going to get mad at you and start to think of you as some kind of either malevolent or fraudulent persona if you do shit like, it's for ringworm. (laughs) That makes you sound like, the whole idea should be, try to sound as little like Alex Rodriguez did when talking about this stuff as possible. Saying it's for treating ringworm is something Alex Rodriguez would have said. So don't say it. That just can't be your excuse. 
make either make up a better one or just own it. That's really right. How how does someone who signed a two hundred plus million dollar contract not have someone who can give him the advice of lie better? Can you imagine if he came out and just said, "Well, it got me paid, didn't it?" Seriously, I mean that'd be really funny. The full I mean, on villain mode, right there. Yeah, I like. I I don't. I I don't like the. I, I realize I just did this actually. I don't like PED discourse generally because it just turns into kind of scolding and morality. So it's like I don't care. Like these guys are taking it because they want to be better at the sport that can make them life changing sums of money. Like not every guy is going to play by the rules. There are procedures and 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 things in place to stop guys from doing that stuff. I don't really want to judge their moral core because they did this whatever they're baseball players it doesn't matter people are always going to try and bend the rules like this is exactly people are going to take steroids forever it doesn't matter it's it is always going to happen because when you incentivize the sport to the degree that you do you're going to end up with people willing to do literally whatever they can to reach the peak of it like Mm. what i do find interesting though is one the reactions from some from both mike clevenger who is a renowned ass in so many degrees this was and, wild. and an expert in showing his ass was like, you know, we just have to hope he he, you know, makes best of second chance. And it's like of all the people to be saying this. The other one I really loved was AJ Preller complaining about how there's no there doesn't seem to be enough trust between Preller and Tatis or between the Padres and Tatis. I'd be like, that is absolutely rich coming from the dude who had who allegedly had a <laughs> an off the books injured list, essentially, while on the team. Yeah. To, like to deceive other teams when it came to trades, so they didn't have to share injury history. Like, come on, guys! Like, really? Let's 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 not pretend this is anything other than it is. Which is, guy took this supplement or whatever it is exactly, whatever Clobistol, Clobazol, Clobez, whatever I, it is. I, I, yeah, I can't pronounce it. Yeah, um, it's funny because it sounds enough like the ringworm medication Clobitazol that mm-hmm. there was for a moment. I was like, maybe this is actually plausible. And well, then Tatis's the dad that, was like, if you "No, it's not that." You're going to the team doctor. You're just going because that's an easy thing that you go to the team doctor and you're like, hey, I have ringworm. Can y'all prescribe me the basic medication that you guys obviously have to treat ringworm? <laughs> it's, like, it's not like an uncommon athlete affliction, ringworm. Exactly. Like these guys are surrounded by the you most disgusting substances on earth. That's not a thing. For a minute when he, when it said ringworm, I, am, I, am, I uh, initially read it as heartworm. And I was like, Fernando... Uh. Are you you're the stupidest person on earth if you're going to try to get people to believe that you're an 11 year old golden retriever? Like, <laughs> I almost tweeted something to that effect before realizing they said ringworm instead. <laughs> but oh my no, the, the the but like with the Tati stuff, like it's just the, the more interesting thing to me is just like whatever his reputation is going to be after this is is going to be whatever it's going to be like as we've seen before like one steroid test does not damn you to he- to you know it like does not result in eternal damnation so long as you you know play the part going forward like david ortiz is the obvious example even though there is no actual proof that he failed the steroid test i'm i'm obliged to do that as a homer mm-hmm. but there is plenty of time for tatis as young as he is to win people back and you know improve his reputation well, see, and like, say all the right things he lost any people right like i think people who are older like i mean the I, I, writers, they're out like he's out like he if they were they're they're, gonna, they're well there's always going to be like the tom verducci group that is like the second the word you know the the words failed ped test show yeah, up out. for a player he's out like they're never going to trust him again he's persona non grata he did the right. worst thing you can do in baseball aside from gamble on it um at least in their eyes like I think there are going to be some Padres fans he's going to lose, particularly if the Padres uh, don't win the World Series this year, which is not to say like he is the difference between the Padres winning the World Series or not, 
But that also isn't to say he very well could be the difference between the Padres winning the World Series or not. He very well could have come back, had a ludicrous September and October, and if not single-handedly carried them to the World Series, at the very least he was going to play a very, very large part in it if he was healthy. And based on how he was playing in rehab games, he certainly seemed healthy. So I think they're definitely going to be some... this is not the first time. Like, this... He had the motorcycle. Like, what did what was his answer when he was like, which one? What yeah, when they asked him about them. Yeah, I, like, and also there there clearly seems to be an issue here where Fernando Tatis Jr. is. I'm gonna sound like everyone's dad, but he's cruising for a bruising at this point. Like, he keeps making bad, dumb decisions. Manny Machado was somewhere like, look, I tried to tell you guys. Like, Manny Machado it, 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 was like. It, it, Danny, yeah, Machado's got to be there like, I got crucified for not running out of ground ball once, and this dude's yes. off out here with a motorcycle accident and steroids within six months of each other. That's really impressive. But, like, that's the thing. Like, for, forget the steroids as a moral thing. I think it just shows that Manny, Mach- or Manny Machado, that Fernando Tatis Jr. seems to make really bad decisions and then doesn't know how to cover up those bad decisions, which is a sign of someone who isn't particularly bright when it comes to this stuff. Like, that has to be a concern for the Padres at this point. Like, is this dude just and kind he of got a his money. shithead? Like, it's guaranteed. Like, that's the other problem. And like, he already I'm- got his money. And, like, on the one hand, if Fernando Tatis comes back and is still kind of a dumbass, but at least, like, plays like Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, and the steroids didn't, you know, truly didn't seem to have any, there didn't seem to be any difference between pre-steroid and post-steroid Tatis, mm. everyone will be fine. You know, it'll right. be... It'll be an awkward like marriage going forward, but everyone will be fine as if long as he produces and matches the contract. If he doesn't, yeah, then we're in for a really, really bad time. Everyone is going to have a really bad time with that because the Padres, especially given that in the next two and a half years, they have to figure out if and when they want to give Juan Soto the biggest contract in Major League Baseball history are like, okay, but we have 200 plus million to this guy who just got popped for steroids and was in a motorcycle accident and may not be all that good a dude when it comes to like accountability and responsibility which is not to say like Tatis can't improve he is only 22 however old he is you know he's been he's been a super prospect since he was 18 he's the son of of a major league player like he's the face of not just the franchise but also baseball as a whole 23 I got to imagine his ego is probably the size of a small planet by now like that shit happens and that is understandable it's just the 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 focus from here, I imagine, just has to be like, okay, man, we get it. You're great, but, like, don't screw this up. Do not screw this up. Like, you do not want to screw this up because you are, again, like, this is, and it's going to be really weird if this ends up being the path of his career unintentionally or otherwise. Like, when that dude came into the when came into baseball, the immediate thought was it's A-Rod again. Mm. That was that feel, right? That it was, it was new A-Rod. He did all the things A-Rod did brilliantly at his prime. And not only that, but he was exciting, and he was he's the charismatic, hour at short, photogenic. Like, he, like he, he's a superstar. He very, he's like, he very, he knows how to play the media. Yeah, like a new A Rod essentially. And well, he, he definitely made his first mistake, or at least was caught in his first mistake earlier than A Rod was when it came to the steroid stuff. And I guess that's the thing. Like you almost wish the two of them could sit down. Maybe not so much talk to each other. They would kind of need a translator because A-Rod just kind of goes on and on in, like, weird business speak. But, like... But we don't know if he was like that early on. Yeah. But, like I said, it's like, just don't do what A-Rod would have done. Think to yourself, what would young A-Rod have done in this situation? And do the immediate opposite of it when it comes to, at the very least, off-the-field decisions. If not, should I put this, like, supplement or pill in my body 
you know, despite the fact that it is very Derek much Jeter against the rules. Like, Derek, what did you think yeah. of all of that? Yeah, I like. I don't want to be like, what would Derek Jeter do? Because who cares? Like, he's he's a weird, mopey, boring weirdo. But wow. like, wow, that's not hard that's not even. Oh, like you've you've heard ten times worse from me on this subject. But like, wow, I've yeah, tweeted geez. ten times worse than that. But anyway, I, I it, it is just came out, sir. It is worrying about Tatis, so it it does make me worry. Like these are not just bad decisions; they're dumb decisions, and that's like that's the concerning part. It's like you need to be smarter than this, or otherwise this is not going to work out, my dude. And you are, and this is not a career that should be that should have that happen to it. Well, the and, thing is, like, there's no foresight, right? Where I think no. that's where A Rod would come in, where he's like, "Dude, you, I promise, like, I would love to be in the Hall of Fame, but I have no path to the Hall of Fame." Like A Rod, nope. I think talked about that this week, where he was like, "If I could do it all over again, I would." I mean, make these adjust. Like, it was stupid. Like A Rod was going to be a Hall of Fame player no matter what. Like he was that kind of player right away. Yeah, it's and like and he's like, just, "Don't." It's like, and Tatis is already looks like he could be on that same track, right? Or at least did. And like you know, I I also like who knows what he's going to look like after this. There's really no way to account. Well, you, like even we, if you we don't the steroids. The injury stuff's real. Where it's like his the injury, injury stuff is real. Stuff, he might be an injury prone player, and that might just alone derail him. Yeah, I mean this this might be. I mean he might be closer ultimately to someone like Nomar Garcia Parra, bless his soul, mm-hmm. than he would be to someone like A Rod. Um, yeah. And not not just you know, it's, that's certainly not a bad career by anyone's stretch of the imagination. Nomar had a wonderful mm-hmm. career. It's just. Again, and not to tie it to, like, the personal fortunes of the people who own the Padres, but 200-plus million dollars is now tied up. in The whole future of that franchise was tied up in his one person yep. from from 2021, essentially, onward. Like, for the next decade—this was supposed to be Fernando Tatis Jr.'s decade, both with the Padres and with MLB. I mean, aside from Bryce Harper, who is the other, like, forward-facing MLB star you see in advertisements? Aside from local guys in local markets. Well, that's a well. Going forward, who do you think is next man up? If you like remove Tatis now and he's out, and you're not marketing him next year, like who are some early contenders that could fill the void? Who makes sense? I mean, uh, Soto's certainly. I mean, yeah. I think That'd especially be if, the same team. <laughs> <laughs> I think Soto's a guy. I mean, it, it depends on you know how much he would want to do that because I mean, obviously the the easy answer is Otani. Um, I guess that would be yeah. the other guy we've seen is it would be Otani as part of the as one of the forward facing MLB guys. Um, obviously, you know, there is a language barrier with him and to a certain degree with Soto as well. But still, like they are the best players of, in baseball by a lot in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Judge Gear up is for Michael guess, Harris, man. Gear Aaron Judge up. being the other one, especially because Judge is going to sign uh, an enormous contract this offseason. So, but yeah, I mean, t- but that was, it's a small group of guys that you can think mm-hmm. of where you're like, you know, oh, these are the these are the, the faces that MLB has. Tatis was one of them. He is not for the foreseeable future. It is, because that's the other thing, like, people will forget, people will forgive. Like, I don't think anyone's necessarily going to hold this over Tatis forever unless he either doesn't change and does it again or is a shell of himself and then people are like well i guess that answers that but there there are definitely going to be people who are not going to forgive him and there are definitely going to be fans who for the rest of forever are going to be like steroids steroids cheater 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 like especially if they go down in flames this year where it's like you made this all-in move for juan soto where yeah especially if the padres do not win this 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 uh in this postseason that is he is going to have to answer a lot of questions when he comes back about all this stuff. It is going to hang over him until it does not anymore. And that's part of it. It's like, 
how how eager is the league or any other anyone else going to be to want to have him as the face if it's like oh the black cloud constantly hanging over the Padres in the form of Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean I think it, he's it really it, it's it's office. awful yeah, I hate and it I hate it I just hate it yeah and I think he's meeting with the team and players this week later this week but like I don't think it's going to be an easy road back for him because like if you read the direct quotes from Musgrove and Clevenger about they him, were harsh like don't baseball players, players don't talk about yeah. their own teammates like they do not like I remember when we were talking about the Clayton Kershaw Matt Olson thing like yeah. to hear Kershaw say even as as veiled as it felt it was like you don't hear that like the way Musgrove the talked Freeman, the way uh, or sorry Freeman yeah. yeah yeah especially the the quote like I said that Clevenger gave which was two faced as hell but at the same time like usually well, I don't, don't in front of you, me I'll read them both. Usually don't air guys out like that. For sure. And I'll I'll read these out just for the listeners who, if you did not see it from a couple days ago. Clevenger said, quote, to Dennis Lynn, quote, it's the second time we've been disappointed with him. And you hope he grows up and learns from this and learns that it's about more than just him right now. Joe Musgrove also said, quote, he's a young kid. He's going to learn his lessons or whatnot but ultimately i think you got to start showing a little bit of remorse and you got to start showing us that you're committed to it and that you want to be here i think there is a real yeah that's not those are not good quotes and like granted steroids is one of those things where with major league players they they too uh they're by and large despise steroids particularly Mm -hmm. pitchers for some I, i remember hearing like justin verlander hates steroids and he thinks steroid guys are the lowest of the low um so, like, I, I think that's probably part of it, too, is, like, these guys do not like steroid users at all. You know, that is a... That's the other thing. This is a black mark on him just within the league, you know, with mm-hmm. the players around him, too, unless he really, you know... And it also just sounds like someone that the players around him, they don't seem to particularly like him. Right. You know, it's and like so it's the like... young guy, like, it's just he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. The brash like. young dude who they gave... Yeah. Who got a ton, Who got more money than most of these guys have, have combined for in their lives right. before he turned 20... Before he's old enough to rent a car. How do, I, I can understand how that's, like... And is, and is, you know, he's flashy. I shouldn't say flashy. That's not the right way to put it. He, he plays in a very flashy way. He just dresses in a very flashy way. He mm-hmm. is in commercials. He is in advertisements. Like, you know, he is one of the faces of baseball. Like, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of guys in that clubhouse who are probably feeling a little extra not happy with him at this mm-hmm. point. You know, it's... I, I do wonder that too, at least from a from a clubhouse chemistry perspective, you know, because that that stuff is real. That stuff does matter. Like, what is this going to do to the Padres going forward? Like, granted, Tatis won't be there for the rest of the year. I'm sure he'll you know he'll come, he'll do his apology, uh, he'll talk to his teammates, and then he'll probably be pop up here and here and again. But it is something they have to figure out, especially ahead of you know ahead of next season. And it's something they especially have to figure out, given that again they have to make a really big decision on Juan Soto at some point in the next two and a half years. They already have to start making a really big decision on rotation uh, options, given that they no longer have Mackenzie Gore going forward because of the Soto trade. Yu uh, Darvish is going to be a free agent, and so is Blake Snell. There's one more year left on Mike Clevenger's contract, and he hasn't really fully looked like the same guy he was before Tommy John surgery, and really since he was in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, their long-term future pitching-wise right now is Joe Musgrove, and that's really it. Like, they have a lot of work they're going to need to do to either to spend money to keep guys like Snell and, or Darvish around or to start acquiring those guys from somewhere else. And they just, for as much as we can argue about whether or not, you know, Washington got enough or got great, you know, they got a lot of prospects. They got a lot of San Diego's really good prospects. You know, they got the guys that would have been used for, you know, otherwise to acquire 
uh, a really big pitching target. Granted, they got Soto. That's awesome. There's literally no better acquisition you can make than Juan Soto. But the Padres have a lot of tough decisions in front of them, and Tatis just made their decision-making process way, way more difficult and way thornier. And that is not something I think that anyone in that franchise, player, front office, coach, anyone is going to be partic- is Obviously, they're not happy about it, but I don't think that's something they're going to be slow to forget either. You know, that this is... This is really the ultimate me over the team because, he, uh, again, he got caught. He got caught for a steroid that was popular in the '80s in East Germany. This is not a hard steroid to detect. This is not some super Tour de France like like created in a weapons bio lab like ultra steroid. This is something that's been around forever to the point where I genuinely do wonder if he did consume it by, if not accident, at least stupidity. But like. Regardless, it's that doesn't help his case either. It's no, and it doesn't. Regardless, it's self, whether you did it for for the wrong reasons, the right reasons, because you weren't thinking. It's ultimately selfish, and that is just not gonna. That's just not gonna work for that for, for that clubhouse for that team. They they are in. Boy, the Padres are in a real state now. At the very least, in terms of. I guess we'll see. We'll see too, like how they perform, like going forward, because that that just has to be such a deflating thing to go from, you know, your superstar MVP candidate shortstop is almost back to, oh hey, sorry guys, he's gone for this year, and also a chunk of next, and he took steroids. Oops, that's a tough Our one. Bad. That is that after the trade deadline too. Which, granted, it's not. I mean, this is a. This was a sample from March. It's not like it's not like how T. Scott like did steroids on August first or on August fourth or whatever. But like, still, it, it very. The timing of it also is just just adds to the misery of um of where the Padres are at. Can we also add uh, the misery uh, component? Another West Coast team, the A's. There we, we go. Back up Shane Langliers. Finally, back to Shane Langliers. <laughs> Um, John, what do you make of the A's calling up Langliers? Do you think this is a positive development? Are you excited uh, about seeing what Shea looks like on the major league level? And also, do you feel like there is a bounce back potential for Oakland next year in the AL West? Oakland next year in the AL West? No, probably not. I mean, what I... No, because Oakland, the A's have made it very clear that absent the city of Oakland or the state of California or some combination of the two, giving them a stadium for like literally no money, they are not going to spend money on the major league product. Because in the eyes of A's ownership, it's more valuable to them to run a franchise at basically zero dollars or as close to zero as they can, regardless of how many how few fans show up or how many show up or whatever. Because they'll still make money from a bunch of other stuff. There's, I think they're back now on the revenue sharing. And eventually, they don't want to be in Oakland anyway. They would rather move the team to, I guess, Las Vegas is going to get is going to get used again in this in this possibility. Maybe they'll talk to one of the other uh, expansion will, expansion hopeful cities and try to wheel something out of, wheedle something out of them. But regardless, no, no Oakland A's team is one to be excited about at this point because they're not going to make the necessary moves to get the A's from anything other than like semi-intriguing contender if literally 25 different things break right. That's kind of the thing. Like The ideal A's team, at least given their constraints, is like a three-war player at every position making the league minimum. And so it's like it has to happen with guys like Langoliers because... Langliers is a kind of dude where, particularly based on his profile, he's a good defensive catcher who has some contact issues but has a good amount of power and a decent walk rate. 
You know, he will put up league average offense uh, generally, which at that position is way better than league average. He will put up usually pretty good defensive numbers. I know they've they've kind of been up and down on him, but still he had a good reputation coming out of Baylor as a defensive catcher. Um, He's still held. He's held one throughout his time in the minor leagues. He's added the power of Nathaniel Holtz, who is a a good Twitter follow if you're into the Oakland A's farm system, which Mm. there are definitely some of you out there. Uh, Real sickos. Co- yes, he comped him to Mike Napoli with a slightly better glove, or with a better glove. That's an everyday player for years. That is an everyday player for a good solid four or five years, yeah. or at the very least until they are no longer cost controllable, at which point Oakland decides you are not an Oakland A anymore. But, <laughs> right. I mean, our, our projections have... Uh, sorry, our projections have Langoliers as roughly a two-war player next year. That's a starter, a catcher. That is mm. perfectly acceptable as a catcher. So, But that's the thing. For Oakland to contend, they would need, like... 20 Shea Langoliers and they don't have 20 of those because it's really really hard to no matter how many good prospects you have no matter how good you are at player development you just can't that's not possible you need to spend money on outside players to supplement the players that you already have and the A's are not going to do that like will they you be better need, uh, Christian Pache to be good after two yeah and that's parents. that's the other thing you can't you you can't strike out on these guys like Again, for and, and I, I have more faith in Oakland's player development team than I do in like Washington's or Detroit's. But like, it is still a challenge, no matter how good you are. You know, when you get a bunch of prospects to make them work for you, especially because if they're going from one organization to another, like a lot of these teams do the same things. But you know, who is to say that, for example, Ken Waldachuk, you know, suddenly doesn't become a worse prospect because something the Yankees were doing with him is materially different than what the A's are going to do with him. Mm-hmm. There is no guarantee for any of these guys that they turn into anything. And look, I think the A's did very well at the trade line to get the prospects they did. Luis Medina and Ken Waldachuk were the main guys coming back for for Frankie Montes. That was really good for them. Those are two really good pitchers, and that's the kind of like pitching upside they're going to need for things to things to break right because they need a bunch of guys hitting their like their 80th plus percentile. All roughly at the same time. And there is some hope, I think, future-wise for Oakland. Tyler Soderstrom is a very good hitter. And with Lang- like I think part of Langoliers coming up now, too, is to figure out, can this guy be the full-time catcher next year? Because if he can, we're going to bring Soderstrom up to be a first baseman. Because right now, first base in Oakland is empty because they traded Matt Olson and didn't figure out a long-term solution to that position. Bad. He hasn't been bad for them this year. He hasn't been bad, but Seth Brown is better suited to be a platoon guy uh, mm-hmm. in a corner outfield or in a DH role. Tyler Soderstrom is a guy, is a first baseman you build around, you know? Mm. And that's... So and that, I think... Year. And I think he's up next year. I don't know Oakland's system well enough beyond that to say with any, you know, with any real authority as to whether or not 2023 can necessarily be better in that regard. I think it can only help to have more good young players. But again, the problem with Oakland is that's the best they're going to do at this point. Mm. Maybe a relocated A's team or one that figures out its stadium situation. And I, I, even then, I don't truly buy it because it's, it's so easy to say, oh, a new stadium and then we'll spend. Well, let's see. Uh, an ownership more committed to spending on the major league roster would be the thing that in my mind would turn the A's from, okay, they're just kind of there to, oh, they're a contender again now. Because as what we've seen with the, the rumor where Joe Lacob buys them, like that's the yes. rumor that needs to happen. Is Joe Lacob adding to his portfolio with the Warriors, the A's, and investing there and putting them, keeping them in Oakland, 
building the new stadium, that sort of thing, and building their own battery. Like, that's what, if you're an A's fan, that's what you have to hope, is Joe Lacob to just buy this team. Yeah, and it's like, and part of the thing, too, is, like, we've seen the A's be good in the past, obviously, but it, it is those runs when they can get enough of those good young guys together, either dudes in the first three years of their careers or dudes in the, dudes in the back three who, for one reason or another, like, have not actually gotten raises that big through arbitration or late bloomers in that regard, whatever it happens to be, that it has worked for them, and then they've been able to make enough periphery moves because they're still really good at identifying like especially veteran players who can still uh, can still produce particularly in bullpen or in platoon roles or or off the bench but that you can really you can only go so far with that you know especially when you're running a grand total payroll of 46 million dollars that just doesn't work that just simply does not work. Like, you can't build a good major league team for that little money. Well, it's also that weird, is, too, That is like that... a fifth of what the Dodgers <laughs> spend. You can't do it. I, uh, I don't think this stays like this. I think something happens sooner rather than later. This kind of teardown, I'm just not convinced that Fisher owns this team two more years. I just don't. Well, I don't. I don't think he wants to unless he. Get, I think it's a similar situation with Stuart Sternberg in the Rays, where he's not going to want uh, want to own a team that cannot get a good stadium because that is that's where these guys have another profit making opportunity. They all want to pull a Ricketts a family. They all want to pull a a, a, Bra- a Liberty Media. They all want a new stadium that the state will pay for or that the city will pay for that you can get huge tax breaks on and that you can then start chucking in a bunch of retail stuff. Especially for the A's, wherever they get in Oakland is going to be somewhere where they basically have it to themselves. But the other part of it is, I don't know if he actually wants to have a baseball team in the city of Oakland. I think he would much rather do like what Joe Lacob did and have a baseball team in San Francisco or at least somewhere in the middle. But, but the Giants, the Giants, Giants will never right. let that happen. The, right. the Giants will simply never let an Oakland A's team be anywhere really other than Oakland. So I think the only reality is he either sells the team as part of a moving it as to someone who buys it and wants to move it to another city or he just i don't know but i I guess the long way of saying i think you're right like there's not really much upside in john fisher owning the a's as anything other than an asset he wants to move because until and unless the a's get a new locate you get either a new stadium or a new location it is going to be like this there's no reason to expect that a's ownership will change how it operates until or unless one it probably both of those conditions are met because i i genuinely also think that and i that the a's are they, the a's ownership does that john fisher does not want to keep the a's in oakland regardless that i just don't unless this the a's. <laughs> i mean i think that's part of i think he only wants the a's if everything is essentially paid for do you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think he wants the a's if the city and the state give him land and a stadium for free and if he gets to and if he still gets to run I think he'd be comfortable being like, oh, we'll move the payroll up to, I don't know why he's like snooty in my head. Oh, we'll run the payroll up to $80 million now. We can afford it. It's like, but I think that's also only ever as far as he's going to be willing to go. This is not a Steve Cohen situation where he's suddenly going to spend, you know, $150 million on one dude, you know? This is never going to be a team that spends a lot of money. But they could, because they're in the They could. They very much could. I mean, with with the right ownership, they very much could. The problem is John Fisher clearly is not the right ownership. And I think you're right that he does not want to own the A's at this point. I just think he doesn't want to own them until he can get something of value out of them, which is to say selling them to someone who will fix the problems they have that he does not have the appetite to fix. 
I want to get the emails, though. That's part of his sale, where the amount of emails that were sent and forwarded his way about, like, the animals that were populating uh, the Costco. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like, I want all the... The feral cats, the possum yeah. in the ceiling of the press box. Like, there's sometimes... It, it really does feel like the Coliseum or whatever the hell it's called now. It's basically just an abandoned house. <laughs> like... Very spoopy. Yeah, it's like the sewage. There's just sewage everywhere. The pipes are all messed up. Like... There's just there's tarp hanging from places like it's it's, it's really endearing. sad it's almost, <laughs> almost almost like almost the the, the the line between endearing and embarrassing <laughs> is the line between Wrigley and the Coliseum. It's like peeing in a trough in Wrigley <laughs> is one thing because you're like, well, every this is what they've been doing forever. And I don't know that they have troughs in the Coliseum. Like I've never actually mm. been to a game there, but I'm assu- like I'm assuming that the bathroom facilities in Oakland do not make you feel like, oh, how quaint, how they used to do it back in the day. It probably makes you feel more like, I need a shower. I need a shower immediately. It's, there's not, there's nothing that sounds fun about that. Every state, every story about that stadium makes it sound like a haunted house. Like, it's, it's, it's not a good, it's very, it makes me very sad for the A's because it's, this is the other thing, like, with the players they have on that team, the players they're able to develop, like, you know, they didn't just get Matt Olson and Frankie Montes out of like a tree. You know, they they developed those guys. They're very good at developing those players. If they ever had ownership that cared enough to support that those homegrown players, they'd be a great team all the time. But until that happens, no, there's no reason to expect the A's to be contenders unless all of the various stars align perfectly for them. Which is to say, like the Astros all need to die basically, and the Mariners apparently at this point, and the Rangers are still probably better. So yeah, I. In a th- two-team AL West, the current A's, I think, could be something. Or the 2023 A's, at least, could be something. I just don't think we've seen enough for long enough to just, like, pencil in the Rangers and the Mariners as, like, tier. No, I mean, the, like, ran- I mean, the Rangers right just, open. The Rangers just fired the their manager, so they're, they're clearly not in a great place either. Well, let's talk about that, because Chris Woodward gets fired uh, this week. Kind of a surprise, I think. Did you see the yeah. Rangers firing Woodward? No, I mean, I'm not I'm not surprised in the sense that they're a below 500 team where their ownership for as much as I think everyone around them understood. Hey, just because you got Corey Seager and Marcus Semien, we're willing to pay five hundred million dollars to them doesn't immediately make you a contender. This is not the NBA. This is not how these things work. The team around them is still pretty mediocre, if not outright bad. Like, I think there was probably still some expectation that they were going to be better than this. Like. Texas is not a good team. Like they're just straight up not a good team. You know, they're they're 11 games below 500. They're 22 games behind the Astros in the West. Um, I know part of I think what brought Chris Woodward down was they had an absolutely terrible record in one-run games, which I'm pulling up right now. Hmm. Um, which I mean, on the one hand, you give give any manager the bullpen that the Rangers have, and you're probably not going to do particularly well in one-run games either. Like, it's a really bad bullpen on top of everything. You know, they don't have a set closer. They've been doing closer by committee for a while now because Joe... Joe Barlow... Scott Barlow and Joe... Oh, I'll check in a minute, but... uh, They have a 7-24 record in one-run games. So that's... Mm. That's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. Not going to lie. That is that is a kind of thing where when you look at it, you're like, I can understand why the why the manager is getting fired. You know, particularly because they have almost they have 513 runs scored, 514 runs allowed by this point. That's a that's a 500 record by Pythagorean by Pythagorean record. Like 
the numbers, at the very least, the raw numbers say this should be a 500 team. So I, also, I have to imagine that's part of it, too, with Woodward. It's like the folks are looking, the front office is looking at those numbers, looking at the team, looking at those numbers, looking at the team and going, what is the disconnect here? Part of that, though, is the, the front office still hasn't done enough to make this team good enough. Like, Right. This was year it, one of them spending and trying again. Yeah, it is Joe Barlow, by the way. But like yeah. their their best reliever right now is Brock Burke. And that, that's not to short Brock Burke, who's had a very good season, but, like, I that's... that's sh- for the Mets at third tonight. That shouldn't happen. Like, you should not have a bullpen where your best pitcher is a, is, is that dude. Like, mm-hmm. maybe he can, he can be one of your best pitchers, but to be not just your best, but far and away your best, because that's the other thing. Like, the other good pitchers... In the, I mean, there's some, good, there's some good future, at least, but I, I, I'm getting myself kind of tangled around, but I guess it is to say, like like you said, like this is not a team that was supposed to contend. This was year one of figuring things out. There is some genuine, I think, excitement when it comes to, like Jonah Heim has had a very good season as a catcher. Seager has been great. Semyon has been okay, and that's actually kind of a problem for them because I think they needed Semyon to be a lot better than this because the next... The next years aren't going to get any easier for a dude who is now 31 years old. Like, mm-hmm. Adoles Garcia has been a great hitter. Like, uh, Leody Tavares has actually shown uh, an ability to hit major league pitching. Ezekiel Duran has been a nice has been a nice find for them. Jonathan Hernandez in the bullpen. I think uh, Dane Dunning has shown genuine progress in places. But, like, on the other hand, it's a pretty thin list of things that have gone right. And particularly when it comes to the young guys... Uh, Glenn Otto has been really bad. Taylor Hearn has been really bad. Spencer Howard was really bad. Like Dunning, even for as much as I've just said, you know, he's shown some progress, has still been a below league average pitcher by ERA plus. Like the young guys, some of them are hitting, but like Josh Smith has not hit at all. Like, I, like, oh, Nathaniel Lowe, I should mention to someone too, has taken a yeah. step forward as, you know, as a useful middle of the order piece. But still, this is not a, this was not a complete team in terms of contending, in terms of Cole being Calhoun a contender. Got 350 plate appearances to this point. Like, yeah, like that's, that's team. not, that's not the sign of a team you expect to win when you're giving that many plate appearances to Cole Calhoun or Brad Miller or to Charlie Culberson. Don't you say it, sir. Don't you do it. I can't. I'm. I'm sorry, but like it's. I mean, maybe. Maybe part of the. It'd be very funny if this team went out and, sand, and signed Dansby Swanson in the offseason. That, that be would the requirement. be very, very funny. But look, there are still there are a is lot of crazy? holes on this team. Is that crazy? I mean, I think I think it's crazy only in the sense that Josh Young is the future at third base, and if you sign mm-hmm. Swanson, you're moving Corey Seager to third base. And granted, Young is coming off a shoulder injury. He just got back into minor league games, I think, within the last week or two. But, yeah, you're, you're, at that point, then the question becomes, well, what are we doing with our number one prospect? Um, but, like, still, there are holes on this team that is that, that are not Chris Woodward's fault. You know, it's not his fault his rotation has one good pitcher in it in Martin Perez currently, which is also a total surprise. I don't think anyone on the Rangers could have counted on. Hold it's on. Not, his... not to us on this podcast, John. Are you over 30 and you want to be a good starting pitcher in today's MLB? That's Go a good point. Texas. Go to Texas. But... But, like, this bullpen is not good. There is nothing really he could have done with that. He can't really do much about the fact that only half his lineup is hitting at any given point, that Semyon has slumped a good chunk of the season, that Seager spent a a good chunk of the first half slumping pretty badly. A lot of stuff here is not his fault. But, again, you look at that one-run record, and you're like, some of that is bad performance, but some of that, and as someone who has not watched really any Rangers baseball in the recent past, like, I can't say, you know, with any, like, authority again like what his management style is like or if he's even a good manager but that is a really bad record in one run games and suggests that there are some bad decisions being made late in games that the rangers can and should probably be winning and at the very least i never got the sense from 
I never got the sense that Chris Woodward, like, you, you never really heard him come up as like, a, oh, this guy is doing amazing things in Texas. Like, the Rangers really looked at this is This was his fourth year as their manager. And granted, he had some hmm. really bad teams as their manager. Like, the Rangers have not been good. Jeez, when was the last good Rangers? Like, when was the last truly good Rangers team? It's been a bit. It's been almost a decade, right? Yeah, it's, it's so the, their last division-winning team was 2016. And then yeah. they got swept out of the ALDS in three games. The year before that, contending team, yeah, yeah. The last contending team was the one that was the one that um, lost the wild. I'm not even, yeah, the one that lost the wild card game to Baltimore in 2012. Uh, so, to yeah, ten years. Joe Saunders go. of all the dudes. So, yeah, it's been it's cool. been ten years since we've had a really really good Rangers team. But like the last, so like the last three Rangers teams were just flat out not good. Um, I guess some exception made for the pandemic. But even that pandemic season team played very poorly. Like, that's kind of the other thing. I This is, again, Chris Woodward's fourth season in charge. I don't think this is some reflexive thing necessarily on the part of the Rangers. It does just feel like they've thought, okay, this guy's gotten plenty of rope to show us that he knows what he's doing, is making the right decisions, is building connections in the clubhouse, whatever it is they needed to see. And they've decided, you know what? No, like, we're just not seeing any progress. Even when we've given him better tools, we're not seeing enough progress. And that's not necessarily Chris Woodward's fault, but it just didn't really seem like he was making things necessarily any better there. Um, I will be interested to see who Texas decides to go after in the offseason, because this isn't a team that needs like a veteran guy right away, I don't think. I think this, this they need someone who's willing to... They need a long-term investment here. And I think they thought that's what Woodward was, because he was a young guy without any previous managerial experience, kind of part of that uh, immediate post-Alex Cora, Aaron Boone rush. But... Carlos Beltran. <laughs> I think I think they need someone, and I'd be curious if they end up going with someone who has... It'd be funny if we start circling back around to, actually, maybe it's a good thing to hire minor league managers because they have shown <laughs> that they know how to manage not just a game but a clubhouse yep. in a professional, competitive setting. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more of that and if Texas wouldn't be one of those teams that just, that just makes a lot of sense mm. for us to find... Or to find a, a guy who's been a bench coach for a bit and has maybe some... Uh, potential managerial chops because and this also because that's the other thing I don't think this is going to be a splash hire because I don't see Texas Texas had their splash last season it didn't really work I don't really know that a splash manager hire is that makes any sense for them like I could see them doing something very stupid and hiring Joe Madden because it's like ooh Joe Madden look at this big name but I also just wonder if like one does that obviously makes no I mean Joe Madden specifically makes no sense but does that make any sense for where Texas is at in their uh, contention cycle or whatever the phrase is with with the fancy uh, front offices or is this just something where it's like no we gotta like we we're still a little bit away we need to take some time we need a guy who's a little who's like like Chris but maybe has more experience what about purple I mean, Clint being Earl? a manager oh man poor Clint. I hope he's I hope he's doing okay Clint I hope his face hasn't gotten even darker the raisin i hope you're not looking that up to prove it but yeah i i i'm i am surprised if only because again like you said this wasn't supposed to be a good texas team but you know well, can i like ran on this for 20 seconds yeah this is okay. literally your podcast so, this is something that drives me nuts about like baseball is not basketball and this was something that when people are talking about it and there was a piece and i'm not gonna cite who it was or anything but i'm writing about this tomorrow where Okay, when you look at this roster and you're like, oh, Texas won the offseason, really spending, and they're they're serious about winning, they're going for it. It's like, well, great. Well, that's not how baseball works. So, yeah, you can sign a Corey Seager and a Marcus Simeon, but there's so many other. You have a full bullpen. You have a full rotation. You have so many guys. It's a long season. Depth, depth, depth. Like, it, it can, you cannot force contention. So when you sign, like, the Corey Seager or a Chris Bryant in Colorado, because there was a piece this week, or I think last week, about, like, well, it – 
really has backfired. The Rockies tried to dip their toes in, and the Chris Bryant thing, and it's like, no, they were not. That was not signaling that they were trying by just signing Chris Bryant. That's not yeah, that, that was enough. Th- that was the Rockies being the only team willing to offer Chris Bryant what Chris Bryant wanted, because everyone else presumably was like, uh, here's like seventy five million dollars over like four years, and you're going to stand in the outfield forever. Like, like, the, the, like the, also, the you're going to have to like, like try. <laughs> Right, and the thesis being like, oh, the big move to sign Chris Bryant didn't pay off. It's like, there was no big move. Like, that's not, like, <laughs> this is not how it works. Like, they were not going to contend with or without Chris Bryant. They did not go into it of like, oh, Chris Bryant's our missing piece to beating the Dodgers and winning the NLS next year. That is not how baseball works. That is not a thing. Like, Chris, I'm mad at Chris Bryant and Corey Seager for just choosing to be away from important baseball for the remainder of their prime. Like, I am very upset that those two have made decisions to be, look, get paid, get your money, but they're two players just not to be around now. Well, I can, and I should say when I say Texas isn't up for big splashes, at the same time I'd forgotten they drafted Kumar Rocker number three overall, like a month or two months ago, so I... I I retract that statement, but like I think you can also, you I think the the easier way to understand Seager and Semyon because when when it happened at the time, I think we we said like when we were talking about the Rangers, this is not a move that makes them contenders. This is a move that maybe makes them a 500 team if everything works out, and it's not and it's yeah. not going to work out that way because they're like I said they're 11 games under right now and they're probably not going to get there. But regardless, I can understand at least the motivation with Seager. This team really did not have anything in terms of middle infield anything in its farm system coming up anytime soon Um, by our rankings their number one shortstop prospect right now is josh smith who is currently utility guy and is not Corey seager and probably was never going to be next guy up on that list who is listed as a shortstop on our board is maximo acosta who is 16 or sorry he's not 16 years old he is uh 19 about to turn 20 and is an a ball there is no real shortstop of the future in Texas. I can understand why they want to make the long-term investment with Seager. Yeah, he's on the older side for it. Yeah, they had to pay a lot of money to do it. But it's also like he is a guy that they can count on, I think, for the next at least five years in terms of being an important core hitter for them at a position that they otherwise weren't going to find anyone. I mean, maybe if they'd waited a year and then seen what the market would have looked like for like Trey Turner or someone, that could have been one thing. But I think they also really decided, well, we just like Corey Seager. Let's just get Corey Seager. Semyon, I think, is more about the same similarly about bridging a gap to uh, a position where Texas does not really did not really have immediate options available within their farm system. They have Justin Foscue. Uh, as their number one second base prospect and as out of the 2020 draft out of a, as a college hitter so he's someone who if everything breaks right should be arriving on the soon shortly I think that was probably just a hope let's see if we can get the last three to four good years of Marcus Semyon's career before things start to turn obviously has not worked out that well but yeah I don't I, I don't necessarily know I can see this team building in a sense for like the, the skinny rebuild idea of like this is not going to be a four to five year project. This is going to be in two to three years max. We are going to be a really good team. And part of that was signing Corey Seager. And part of that was drafting both Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker or college arms who are like Leiter is Leiter is going to be part of the 2023 rotation. I would not be surprised if Rocker is part of at least the 2023 bullpen. Hmm. I, I mean, I think that's the thing when you draft a college arm, especially a guy like Leiter who's pitched in. You know who's pitched in the SEC where it just matters more, and so That's who understands who understands a highly competitive environment. School, who's just, but yeah, or sorry, uh, 
Vandy, I said. Which one? Which no, 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 I meant wrong school. As in, he went to the wrong school because Vandy is the wrong Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say he went to Vandy. You just mentioned he went to Vandy. Yeah. Similarly, Rocker, who, I mean, I, I think that one was just more of like a talent and availability as opposed to, you know, some, like, I, I don't think they're necessarily evaluating these guys purely in terms of like, um, whatever it is, in terms of like, oh, he pitched in the SEC, therefore he wants it more. But like, I think that a high polished college arm is the kind of guy where they're hoping two years after being drafted he is at so, to some degree or another ready to go because the only the other thing is with a college arm you only have so many bullets left at this point mm. like he's older he had to throw hard in college in a way that a lot of the high school kids don't because they get to be managed during those college ages as opposed to having their crusty old SEC coach being like going out there for inning number whoa, 28 whoa, or whoa. whatever Tony Vitello is both not crusty <laughs> or old very but handsome re- actually and very young regardless I think I think the Rangers are seeing a future where the 2020, if not the 2023, and I think part of firing Woodward is because they really do think that the 2023 Rangers can and should be better than than what the 2022 Rangers have shown, that at the very least in 2024, we're talking about a Rangers team ready to step into the gap potentially there by the Astros or by or maybe not gap, but ready to challenge the Astros and possibly if they're still in that point, the Mariners at the top of the ALS. Do I believe that? Not necessarily, no. Like, Texas still has a pretty long way to go, and they haven't done very well with what they've done. But I can at least see if I can at least see why that outline, or I can at least see that outline if that is, in fact, the direction the Rangers are going. And I can see in that, through that lens, how their moves make sense. I just don't know that it's going to work out and pay off at this point. Like, part of it, like, Semyon being as bad as he's been, and, like, granted, he's been better the last three months than he was the first two, but he's still pretty rough overall. That's really not good for them. They really needed Semyon to be to continue to be the guy he was in Toronto. I mean, obviously, there was going to be some regression of some sort, but they needed better from this than him because it is every year that goes that goes by is potentially more downhill for him, you know? And this is also someone who is not... You know, yes, I mean, they need Semyon to be better. Uh, They need better from their pitching staff. Their player development, particularly pitching wise, is just not has not turned out uh, successes so far. They need better than that. It'll be really interesting to see who they hire as a manager, because I guess they are prone to the flashy. But I don't really know who the flashy manager hire even would be unless it's some really, really dumb move like hiring Joe Madden. We'll see. Uh, John, quickly. Uh, one minute on Walker Bueller going out for the season for the Dodgers. Does it affect anything about the Dodgers this year? Yeah, if only because I think in their heads they were imagining an uh, an October rotation at some point of Bueller, Kershaw, Urias, and your choice of Tyler Anderson, Tony Gonsolin, or possibly by that point Dustin May. Mm. They can't do that anymore. Um, they now need they now need to have they they need Kershaw back now. Now his back injury becomes that much more important. Like if this hopefully this is minor because they cannot afford for that to get worse because they cannot afford a postseason without Clayton Kershaw at this point. Their rotation now becomes they have to have Kershaw. They have to have Urias. They pretty much have to have Gonsolin in there, which is potentially a problem given that he's starting to get past or he's starting to get to the point where you're like he's thrown a lot of innings and he's still got a lot more left to go and even for as much as you know he's probably not going to throw more than three or four innings to start in the postseason he it's still going to be like he's still going to have a lot of stress on that arm already you pretty much have to you're going to assume that either tyler alexander or andrew haney is going to get at least one playoff start probably two in particular because of the way the postseason schedule looks 
even even though the Dodgers are going to be the number one seed and are going to have that first round off, uh, they are they don't get those two, that day off weirdly that the AL side gets during the division series between games one and two. The NLDS runs game game one, then game two, back to back day off, game three, and then game four. So if the Dodgers need to play a game four, they're going to need a four starter as opposed to the AL where they wouldn't have they could just go back to the to the top starter if they wanted to. They're going to need at least four starters in the NLCS, of course. They're going to need at least four starters in the World Series. So without Bueller, that rotation is now Kershaw or like I said Kershaw Urias, probably Gonsolin and then depending on and Dustin May has looked great in his rehab and that is at least one thing the Dodgers can look, can feel good about is Dustin May looks great, you know, he could be a part of that group too. The other question now for the Dodgers is what kind of elbow injury is this for Walker Bueller? Because if it's Tommy John, he's gone for all of 2024 as well. And that's really going to impact what they want to do in the offseason, particularly if Kershaw decides that's it. I'm done. Like I'm hanging it up, you know, or wants to move on somewhere else at this point. So, yeah, it's 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 really it's not great for the Dodgers. I think they should be able to survive it so long as particularly if uh, they need Kershaw to come back and May coming back looking good would be obviously very helpful as well but regardless it's going to hurt them i don't think it's going to sink them but it, it is going to hurt them i think they were really hoping he would come back they're going to be active in the free agent market i think this winter for a big i mean they're the dodgers they kind of have to be i think they're like jacob de grom that would be very interesting if they go to him and we're like we can keep you healthy we can yeah. figure it out we can do it we can make you a 180 inning pitcher not to put in any ideas. Hundred eighty, throwing like two twenty before Andrew Friedman, but uh, wouldn't rule it out. No, I'm I'm sure every every I'm sure the Dodgers front office has an entire like division dedicated <laughs> to just thinking about Jacob Degrom and whether or not they can make it work. John Taylor, what can yes. good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com this week? Uh, today, today at Fangraphs, we ran a quick check in on Stephen Kwan from Justin Choi. That was really nice. Uh, a guy that a lot of players a lot, who had a very big sorry debut onto the scene in April uh, kind of fell apart from there but is back and is showing himself to be more than just a early flash in the pan uh, definitely recommend people read Dan Samborski's take on the Tati suspension he gets he gets very in depth into what it means for San Diego going forward productions wise all that fun stuff uh, Ben Clemens is going to do something on the injured players and in playoff races so in particular he's going to be looking at uh, who, the, we were injuries that we, I swear we just didn't mention for whatever reason that someone that the Astros and Dodgers are dealing with. Oh, the loss of Michael. Or, well, Bueller, which we just talked about, as well as uh, Michael Brantley for the Astros. Brantley, Dan is also. Yeah, yeah which is I, I don't think I quickly I don't think that's a huge deal for the Astros necessarily, but it, outfield is not a spot where they have a ton of depth right now. So yep. again, something where I think they would have they would have welcomed him. Be- it was someone they would have happily welcomed back and whose absence is going to challenge their depth in ways that they may or may not really be all that well-suited to deal with right now. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing I recommend that we're going to run tomorrow is Dan is going to look at the postseason, postseason schedule, which was just released over the weekend, uh, to take a look at how and how it favors some teams and why. Definitely check that out. It, he, I'm sure he's going to go into that issue where... Uh, the ALDS gets one game in between, or one day in between games one and two, whereas the NL does not, and what that's going to mean uh, for the National League teams having to deal with that down the stretch. Also, the fact that there is no travel day between, I believe, games four and five of the ALCS, or games five and six of the ALCS and five and six of the NLCS, uh, which very well could be cross-country uh, pennant series based on the playoff seedings and the way things might shake out. So uh, definitely check that out tomorrow. Otherwise, we'll just be doing the usual good stuff we do. Come on down. Join us. Fangraphs. Fangraphs is great. Join Fangraphs. 
There you go. That do sounded that very natural and human. Hey, no, that's what you should do. Yeah, uh, go you should do it. Com today. John do it. You'll, Taylor, make, you'll oh, make me happy. There you go. Yeah. Uh, John, as you uh, fade away into the, the bleak darkness. Uh, I was going to say, I, I forgot to turn the lamp on directly overhead me. Uh, directly overhead of me. I should have done that because I'm, I'm very much looking like I am just being swallowed by the darkness hole. <laughs> Aren't we all? John Taylor, always a pleasure. I will talk to you next week. All right, y'all, that'll do it for the Wednesday, August 17th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. Thank you, as always, for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen, wherever and however you listen to this program. We greatly appreciate it. Love to hear from you guys and what you think of the show and uh, just our format each and every day here on the program. You can email me uh, and just mailbag stuff, anything like that, at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Tweet at me at chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. As always, make sure you're locked in, subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you are, leave us a five-star rating and a review helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow so i would greatly appreciate it if you take a second today and uh leave that five-star rating and a review about the show and what you like about it and all that good stuff um youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast and of course read me all my sports writing all kinds of good fun stuff over there at sports man.substack.com uh, type in your email and become a subscriber today all right new episodes coming tomorrow check it out here on the feed you guys have yourself a great Wednesday. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.